Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for yet another episode here at the Boca Podcast. And I am joined by a new guest and a new friend, Tanya Dameron. Thank you so much, Tanya, for making time for the Boca Podcast today. Thanks for having me. And you're actually not very far away from me. You're in Knoxville, Tennessee, right? Yes, yes. So not not too far at all. Yeah, about an hour and a half. I don't know. We we probably should have tried to schedule this in person. I I I'd love to be able to do interviews in person. I don't have the opportunity very often, but uh, maybe at some point we can connect. We've got a pretty cool photographers group here local to Chattanooga too that you might enjoy hanging out with. But talk to us a little bit about your just briefly actually if you'll just sum up what your photography business offers there in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, so I have been doing photography for 10 years full-time here in Knoxville. I'm originally not from Knoxville, but I've been here almost as long as I have been, which is from Kentucky. And so we shoot weddings primarily, and then, of course, our clients end up having babies. And if they come back for referrals, we'll shoot the babies, photograph the babies as well. But yeah, and then our main focus, like I said, is weddings, but we also do a lot of humanitarian work. So we have got to, or I, I say we because I have a team, but I have got to travel the world the past five years. I have been to five continents in 30 plus country. Whoa. Yeah. Doing humanitarian work as a photographer. And the cool thing is, is that people started catching on to what I do and I'm getting, uh, I don't take any profit from these trips, but I actually donate my time and they will pay for my travel. So it's kind of been a very neat way uh, for this little bitty uh, hometown girl to actually get to travel the world. That's incredible. Wait, so you said five continents in 30 countries or 30 plus countries? Yeah, in the past five years, <laughs> so it, I, it's been a pretty cool experience. I've got I've got to see some things that I wish I had not had to see, sure, yeah. and then I've got to actually see some amazing things that I never thought I would be able to experience. So weddings, I always tell people, weddings feed me, and the mission work fuel me. Wow. Okay. So do you do this through a particular organization? I have a home church, Faith Promise, here in Knoxville, and it's a pretty large church. And so a lot of the organizations are based out of there only because they're very particular about who we serve with. And so we want to make sure that when we go into these undeveloped areas that we're actually helping them uh, self-sustain. Yeah. And so they kind of do a lot of the pre-work for us. And then from there, other organizations have noticed that I've been on the field. They've asked what I'm doing. They've got my card. They've reached back out and also like hired me or, you know, paid my way to come to their organization. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so great. You know what? And I I have to say props to you. I mean, I know you're not doing it for props and for notoriety or anything, but I, I have a lot of respect for the fact that you are spending a chunk of your time doing something that goes beyond yourself. This is something that we've talked about a little bit more in the podcast as of late, but you know, to, to run a photography business, it can be compelling and interesting and exciting and, and heartwarming even and you feel like you're doing something that is making an impact in some way in these families' lives. But 
to, to do something at the scale that you are that has an impact that goes way beyond taking a picture, I think is really, really powerful. And I think that we should all in some form or fashion find something like that, that, that is bigger than us, that goes beyond thinking about ourselves. Uh, I think that's a really beautiful thing. And again, kudos to you for that. I think that's a wonderful, beautiful example for all of us. Yeah, well, it was not something that I set out to do by any means. I was doing weddings and my mentor owned a bed and breakfast and he actually became my mentor, him and his wife, through meeting me through his bed and breakfast. Okay. And just so happened a connection was made with a connection that he knew someone and they did mission work. And he said, hey, you should go with us one time. And I was like, well, I'm going on my first trip next week. We'll see how that goes. And he's like, all right, come back and talk to me. And at that point, I had just met him. And I uh, came back, talked to him. And he was like, I think you should go. And I was like, well, where are you going? He's like, we'll be going to Africa in three months. And I kind of laughed because the trip was very expensive. Yeah. And I had no plans of being on a plane. If anyone knows me, that's hilarious for me to be on a plane for 30 some hours. <laughs> I'm very hyper. So it's like, a, that would just be a tragedy. But just so happened, I raised the money and within those couple months. And yeah, everything worked out. I didn't have, it was in October and I didn't have a wedding that weekend, which is odd in itself uh, because in the South, October is our busiest month for weddings. And I went and uh, while I was there, that trip absolutely changed my life. That's where I knew that I was called, you know, to do this. And so I started doing it and it's literally that trip just started like opening doors for all the other things. So it wasn't, it wasn't in the plans at all. Photography was not in the plans at all. I've been uh, business to business sales all my life. And at 25, I left business to business sales, making almost six figures a year. I quit college to do that. And people thought I, like I was absolutely insane to hmm. quit a job paying yeah. that much. Uh, and I love sales and yeah, to do photography, but it's worked out so far. So we'll go with it. <laughs> well, good for you. And, and thanks for kind of starting us off with an inspirational note. And it's a good reminder for me too. I mean, I, I want to make sure that what I do goes beyond the numbers of business and then I'm somehow making an impact in individuals' lives on a deeper level. And I think this is a great example for us. Talk to us a little bit about your photography business's brand position too, because this is, I mean, you're a, a wedding photographer. There's so many wedding photographers. What, what do you do that sets you apart from other wedding photographers in the Knoxville area? And how do you effectively communicate that to your clients? Yeah, I think for me, it really boils down to like me just being me. Like if like anybody knows me, like my energy, like and I don't try to be this way, but it's just kind of out there. And so either I'm the type of person that you either love me or you hate me. There's no in between. <laughs> I, I'm on the extreme. But, you know, when I show up, it's like I just try to be like real with people. Okay. So I'm always like, you know, I just I want to be that person that when I get to their wedding, that it's like the party starts now people and, um, and awesome. just like have fun and like get to know them. So, you know, I add them on my social media, media, all that stuff, which is what a lot of other photographers do as well. But the thing I think that a lot of photographers fall prey to is they try to be like someone else, not just in like their editing or their website or their style, but also in how they sell, how they treat their clients. There's all of these classes and courses and all these amazing things out there that try to teach you how to run your business and they're great, but you can't be a copy of, you know, someone else. And I think that shines through a lot whenever someone sits down uh, to book you. Like people know, I think people pick up very, very uh, fast if you're trying to be more or different than what you are. 
So I think that is the big thing. Like no one can copy this, all of this, <laughs> this <laughs> All of this cannot be copied, which, like I said, you know, it's it's either a turn on or a turn off. But that's great because I don't want to show up to a wedding and people be like, oh, my gosh, my photographer is here. I can't wait till she leaves. So I think that is the big thing of just like learning like who you are and then just appreciating like that. So I think that's the big, big thing. I mean, I can tell you like very basic things is, you know, like we get our weddings out within a week. Uh, no one can touch that. And I do edit all of my photos uh, myself. However, uh, at this How point this you, year, yeah, How yeah. <laughs> however, I know, I know, but uh, I have an amazing team uh, of people that, you know, help me out as far as doing like all the, the, the other things. But at this point, we're so busy this year that I may have to reach out for some help. But uh, yeah, that is the big thing that we can get our photos out to the clients in a week and the blog. And then we start on their album design. And I think that is a benefit of hiring someone, like regardless if you outsource those things or not, of hiring someone that runs a legit business that does it full time. When you add the whole, they do it full time, that makes a huge difference in their turnaround times, how organized they are, things of that nature. Yeah, for sure. Well, and and you know where to find me if, if you ever need some editing help. But, but in all seriousness, the the turnaround time translates to the experience that you're providing that client. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we, we have an option at photographers edit that enables photographers to get their weddings back in three business days. So you could outsource that work and, and you could have a week turnaround time. And you know, the cool thing is you could tell your clients, Hey, we'll have your, your wedding back to you in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, and then surprise them with that week turnaround time and just blow them out of the water as well. It's a different way you could go about doing it, but it, you're right the experience is everything and having a great workflow in place that enables that uh, is really important. But I want to go back to something because, you know, this is a, uh, and, and I know that I harp on this, this topic of brand position quite a bit here on the podcast, but I, it's, it's for a particular reason. And that is we have, we live in a noisy, a very noisy world. There are a lot of photographers, yeah. wedding photographers in particular, and there is a, there's, quite a bit of significance to the point or points that you were making about being yourself for sure. I mean, no question. And we could spend multiple podcasts talking just about that. In fact, I'm really curious actually about the, the energy that you exude and that, that you've <laughs> been talking about. Maybe we can go there at some point, but I'm, I am curious. And just to push back a little bit, I want to get your take. It's, you know, somebody has to sit down with you to, to sense that energy. I mean, I'm looking at the about me section on the front page of your site and you've got a beautiful smile and a wonderful presence about you, but I wouldn't know that energy about you from looking at that, that picture or even the, the short description that you have about yourself and the things that you enjoy. So while we need, and, and I know there's a lot of conversation in our industry about learning how to be comfortable with yourself and to put yourself out there, these things are important but I'm curious how that plays into the marketing of your business. Before that person ever sits down with you, they're going to come to your business for a particular reason. And if, if they're coming to you because of a reference, you know, another a friend or a family member said, hey, you've got to go use Tanya. I get that. But if they're just looking and they've, they've got hundreds or even thousands of photographers to choose from, how are they going to know to, to come to you? You say wedding and elopement photographer on, your, on the homepage of your website. How do they know to, to, that that you're the one that they would want without av actually having the time to meet you. And I, there's, there's no right answer here. I'm just curious to get your take on this, particularly with regards to, to brand position. Right. Like, so if you click on the little read more, yeah. the first thing you'll see on my website is me hiking in the desert a couple of months ago. That's really um, cool. Skiing, 
Uh, I'm a national park junkie. So there's another photo there. I went to the Arctic Circle. That's the that's the other photo. And then as you read on, it talks about me. And then, of course, it shows that my dog is my office manager. And I get so <laughs> many comments on like literally people will email me. And like one of the first things they'll say is like, your dog. He's so cute. And I'm like, what about me? I'm cute. No. <laughs> but like, you know, but the big thing I think is I use social media, of course, Instagram is my friend, Instagram stories. And I'll post things of like how I've lost 75 pounds and then I'm still on my weight loss journey. And I'll talk about the real things there, or I'll talk about how I run every day. And I'll post a lot of things on my story. So a lot of times when people come to book me, they've been a referral from someone because we're, like I said, I'm in 10 years of business full time. And so thankfully we are on a lot of uh, wedding vendors, their preferred list. So that helps out a lot. Uh, Brides just being, you know, our, our voice of like referring people to them. So by the time they even get on my website, they already know so much about me just by word of mouth referrals. And then they start digging into my website. Then they start digging into my social media. And so thankfully I have really amazing clients that have referred these people to me and kind of already sold them on me before they even get to my website. What percentage would you say of the business that you do right now is from referrals? probably 80 to 85%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That makes all the difference in the world. And, and honestly, that changes the conversation and having that perspective is really helpful. Uh, yeah, you're right. If somebody is, if the majority of your business is coming from those referrals, then at this point, they already have a good word in um, the person that told them about you is going to frame your brand and your business in some form or fashion. So there again, brand position can play a role, but Ultimately, they have a good word. So they're coming to your site. And now it's more a matter of just getting to know you uh, as opposed to trying to figure out what exactly it is that you offer. And so that makes a lot more sense. I think for photographers who are, for example, marketing to budget brides and, and budget brides are just doing a Google search or going on Facebook and, and clicking on an ad or something comparable. Uh, and, and they are, you know, that they're looking through, they're literally browsing through hundreds of photographers there's got to be something that they can grab a hold of. And this is really a side note. This is not so much for you, Tanya, because you have a particular model and this works. But uh, for those of you listening in, the reason that we talk about brand position is because because we live in a noisy world. We have to be able to clearly and concisely communicate what we offer that is different than anyone else. And yes, we ourselves as the photographer are different. But plenty of people can say some version of that, and they still don't know what they're actually getting that's different. And so the challenge with having a distinct brand position, a clear brand position, is clearly, concisely communicating what it is that sets us apart uh, for those who are looking. And uh, I'll leave it at that. It's such a loaded topic, and we will continue to come back to it. I'm actually reading a book right now, and we'll link to this in the show notes, called Positioning. And it deals with this very topic. It's a, it's a really interesting one. For some reason, it stuck with me. But I mean, we see this even in the photo industry when it comes to editing companies. Photographers Edit has some competition. And in order for us to be able to stand out, there are different ways we can do that. But when it comes to marketing, as easily as possible, we have to be able to clearly and concisely communicate what makes us different from others. So the the book in particular, again, it's called Positioning by Al Rise and Jack Trout. We'll link to that in the show notes. You have to check it out. It'll give some more context to what I'm talking about here. But enough enough on that. And Tanya, thanks for sharing your perspective on it. It's really helpful. Right. Uh, I would just add probably one little thing. Sure. I think the basis, like if I just had to pick one thing, like I said, I know like my energy is crazy and all that stuff, but I would probably say customer service. 
like by far, hands down, I know at the end of the day that I can outbeat anyone in customer service. And that is a big, big deal, especially when on a wedding day, things are stressful. It's crazy. It's a lot of money. And so I would probably say customer service for sure is, is, is one of the top ones. Sure. Well, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you bring that up because just again, for the sake of conversation, customer service is an interesting one because a lot of people, and again, I'm just pushing back here and, and I'm very much open to your take on this, but customer service is, is something that a lot of companies talk about, not just in the wedding photography industry, but a lot of people will talk about it. The, the caveat or the problem and on the, at least on the, when it comes to establishing a clear brand position that's actually different, if a lot of people are saying, I offer good customer service, that becomes problematic from the get-go because now they're like, okay, well, but five photographers say they offer good service. How do I pick one of these? And customer service is something that they have to experience. They don't get to experience that until after they, they hire you. So we're back to what is it that you can say to a potential client that is going to grab their attention. You know, I mean, if, if I were to say I'm a wedding photographer that photographs Harry Potter fans, I've immediately put myself in a niche in, in a corner almost. And it's a pretty large corner to be fair, but I've put myself in this, this niche market. I've immediately said yes to particular people and no to particular people. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a brand position. And actually, I would probably maybe even get more specific than that because Harry Potter is such a, you know, it's, it does have a mass following and there, there are different camps within the Harry Potter following. So you could get even more specific and narrow down your target market even more. But that's just a kind of a silly example of a, a brand position which immediately creates distinction and somebody can relate to it or can't relate to it. And it, you kind of filter for that ideal client by making a statement like that that maybe nobody else in the market. I mean, I would venture if I were to Google Knoxville wedding photography, Harry Potter, I'm probably not going to find a wedding photographer that specifically says they only photograph Harry Potter fans. Right. So this is just an example. And, and you know, again, Tanya, you, you have a very particular business model, which is based around references, referrals. And so people coming to you, they're already warmed up. They're ready to, to hire you almost. So I, I don't think that this conversation is as relevant. But the reason that I continue to hone on it is because so many photographers aren't in your position. They're they're just starting their photography business, or maybe they have an existing business, but they're working within a market that is extremely crowded. And in that case, they have to figure out a way to make themselves distinct. And that's where brand position can play an important role. To be clear, it's a, only a piece of the puzzle, but it is a pretty right. significant piece. And it's important for those that don't have a very large referral-based business. So anyway, I really appreciate your feedback and I, I love your perspective. And ultimately, I was largely in a similar place that you are as my f- wedding photography business developed and grew much of the business, particularly as we're getting into that kind of mid to high-end market was coming from referrals. And so I know what it's like to be there. It's a great place to be. And then of course, ultimately the focus is on the relationships with those vendors, those companies that are going to refer potential clients to you. And that makes a big difference. Of course, also focusing on the experience for the clients. If you're staying within the same price point for an extended period of time, then if you're providing a great experience and your clients, after they use you, they have a great experience. They can refer their friends who are likely making roughly the same amount of money they can refer them to you and you can book those as clients. So it's that's a, a great model in and of itself. But I just wanted to make the distinction between that and, and then brand position 
based on or depending on the market that you're going after. Again, thank you for your perspective and thanks everybody for your patience and listening in. I know we parked there for a little while, but it's a really important topic. Uh, Tanya, I'm I'm curious also, I mean, you mentioned being in business for 10 years and again, props to you for creating a business that's enabled you to do that. Uh, not everybody makes it, you know, even two or three years, but from all that you've learned so far as a business owner, what would what piece of advice would you be quickest to share with a fellow photographer from that 10 years of experience? Well, there's probably two big things. Uh, one I did not follow for a long time and the other I did not follow at all. And now looking back, I wish that I had. Yeah. The first one would be before you photograph anything, get insurance. Uh, this is something that I did not do on uh, my first few years in business. And uh, thankfully, um, someone had encouraged me to do that. And it not only protects you like your gear, but it, most uh, companies that offer like I use PPA, they offer some legal advice and legal help, things like that. Because when you first start out, as we know, we don't always do things correctly. <laughs> and we make a lot of crazy decisions. And even like being in business for 10 years, we can still do things that are not intentional that could really mess um, up situations or mess up things. So uh, getting insurance just kind of gives you some additional padding uh, and gives you some additional security in case uh, some kind of crazy thing happened, like, you know, a card being corrupt and you shoot a wedding. And uh, I know nowadays a lot of cameras, of course, have backup slots. So you're backing up your images on another card and things like that. But the insurance will cover, you know, any kind of crazy mishaps. So that is probably my number one advice that I always tell brand new photographers that are coming to me for any kind of mentoring. And the second one uh, would probably be like find, which leads into that is to find someone that you can uh, do a mentorship under um, that you can do some interning with. Uh, that's something I've only second shot one wedding. And that was about two years ago when a friend was in dire need of someone to help him uh, shoot a wedding. I literally picked up a camera. Uh, I literally started my business on doing free stuff on Craigslist. <laughs> and thankfully it worked out. But <laughs> I didn't really, ha I really didn't have a business plan, a business model. Like I didn't grow up with like a camera in my hand. Yeah. And I look back and I look, man, you know, I taught myself how to use Photoshop and Lightroom and how to work my camera. And I look back and now, like, you know, there's a lot of resources online as well as, as far as classes and things of that nature. But I think, you know, go to someone, get in a mentorship, you know, second shoot for people, learn that way you can figure out like what your style is going to be, what your business model is going to be. How do you want to run your business? And with shooting with different photographers, you can kind of see what you like, what you don't like. Working with other photographers, you can kind of see what they do that may make things easier or maybe harder. And so those are probably my two biggest takeaways. That's really great. No, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's second shooting. It's funny. I, I enjoy it. I'm a little bit of a nerd, I guess. But I, there's something about not having the responsibility, full responsibility of the, of the primary photographer and kind of getting to be there as, you know, the person to capture details or candids or, or even just carry it. Like I am totally happy for those of you listening in. If you get me to wherever your wedding is and you want me to come carry your bags for you or hold a light for you for the day, I am, I am glad to do it. I, I love being in that environment. I shot weddings for over 10 years and though I don't find the enjoyment maybe that I used to and shooting at least as much as I did, um, there is something about being there and helping another photographer and getting to be in that wedding environment, which can be so much fun, um, that I really enjoy. 
And second shooting can really lend, I mean, it can lend perspective, right? You're always, you're, you're the primary photographer all the time. Going to second, even after you have an established business, can give you a different perspective that can be really wonderful. And I don't know, I just, I personally find a lot of enjoyment too in just helping another photographer. So I think that's great. Insurance, certainly, first of all, liability insurance, big, big deal. Make sure that you've got that. And equipment insurance makes all the difference too. I, I let's see, I'm trying to think. I think I want to say there was at least two occasions where my 70 to 200 lens, which most of you probably know is an expensive lens. We're talking, you know, an average of $1,500 or so either got stolen or broken or, or otherwise. And at the time, anyway, uh, we were using state farm uh, insurance and they were awesome. I mean, I had, I had money uh, to go buy and I think maybe even cover the tax or something, but like to, to go buy a lens really, really quickly. And they were awesome to work with. I know that everybody's experience with different companies is going to be different in one form or another, but definitely make sure that you've got your insurance in place. That is a great point of advice. Yeah, last or two years ago, uh, I had bought a really expensive, beautiful uh, camera strap from a company and it was leather and like you could like just like hit or hook the little like, I don't know, metal things. And that's how it like connected to your camera and stuff. And I was at a wedding and that had wiggled loose and I shoot with a D4. And at that time I had a flash on it and a 24 to 70 Nikon and my literally $10,000 worth of gear dropped from my neck onto the pavement at a wedding. And thankfully I had backup gear and I went on, but they had to replace everything. Oof. And if, and it was 500 bucks, I don't know, like it was my deductible, yeah. but I would have rather paid 500 bucks than to have had to go pay that much for equipment oh, yeah. because I had a wedding the next weekend. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That would just be a nightmare <laughs> for yes, sure. Yes. That stuff's so expensive. Well, good, good point of advice. And all I can say is go do exactly what Tanya said. We won't link <laughs> to any particular companies because I, again, I understand it's a kind of a subjective thing, but make sure you've got insurance in place, both equipment and liability insurance for sure. Um, as a business owner, time can be a difficult thing to find at times. And I know that you have a team you said as well, and that makes a big difference in being able to not feel like you have the weight of, of, the entire company on your shoulders, but is there anything else in particular that you do in your day-to-day or week-to-week workflow that enables you to have more space, more time to, to just, I don't know, to do your own thing, um, to have, you know, to, to go out and hike, to go running, or maybe just to sit and watch some Netflix? Yes. So from day one, I realized that I did not want my business to run my life that I wanted my life to run my business. And so I do things very differently than most business owners. I will make sure that things that, you know, I hit deadlines and if I promise a customer that they're going to get this by that date, I will. But I stopped staying up till four o'clock in the morning editing or designing albums or whatever. Uh, I stopped doing all the crazy things where I see photographers and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't do this because I have this or I have that. I do not do that. I make sure to, you know, when I'm in the office, I'm in the office, but also make sure when I'm out of the office that I'm completely out of the office. And so I make time like to go hiking. Like that is like my priority. Like when I look at the week, I'm like, okay, I need to get this wedding edited. I know how long it's going to take me or I need to get this album designed and I will set that time apart. But I literally, I know that one day I may have to go back to work. You know, I may, you know, I may get burnout on weddings or people may not want to hire a 90 year old wedding photographer. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, I will have to set an alarm. I will have to clock in. I will have to wear dress clothes every day. 
help me, Jesus. But like, <laughs> whatever the case is, but like, I know that one day I may have to do that, but for now I don't. And so, like I said, I'll schedule a couple of days. Hey, this, these are office days. You're going to do all your office stuff these days. And these other days you're going to enjoy your life. I'm young, I'm healthy. And that that's how I plan it. And it's worked out so far. So, but you know, it's, and as much as this is a cliche term, you're being intentional there. You're being proactive mm-hmm. and yeah. you knew going into it that you wanted to run your business and ultimately have a particular kind of life, all this in a certain way, you wanted to do it in your way. And that, that kind of intentionality, that kind of proactivity is what makes all the difference in the world. If we get into, I was just uh, doing a, a live webinar for another brand today, and we were talking about the significance of being intentional, of not just simply reacting to everything that happens to us, but ultimately being the one, as you described, to, to decide how you're going to spend your time, to be the boss of your time, if you will. And I, I think that's a really great example for us, Tanya. And those of you listening in, take notice and, and go begin to implement that. In fact, just on a more practical level, what is that um, what does that look like? I mean, are you blocking this off in your calendar? Are you blocking the, the certain times off during the day or days of the week in certain ways in order to make sure that you are spending time in that particular way? Do you just have the schedule memorized? What does it look like? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not the most organized person as far as schedule goes. I'm probably what you would call a hot mess <laughs> when, it, when it comes to like doing like, oh, you have to be in the office. I know that if I shoot a wedding on Saturday, that I'm taking Sunday off. That is a default. I okay. do not shoot on Sunday unless it's a wedding. I do not schedule sessions, anything like that. I normally go to church and then I come home and crash. And so that's like my day to rest. After, you know, I come home that night, I'll back up all the files. And then on Monday, I know that I need to go through the files, call them, make sure everything's organized. And then I will start to edit normally that Monday. And then uh, Tuesday, if I want to take Tuesday off, and then Wednesday, I'll have everything pretty much finished editing, and I'll be able to blog on Wednesdays. Like, this isn't a perfect world, of course. Sure. And then uh, Thursdays, if I need to do any kind of editing, any, any like, back office things is done. And normally, like, I'll take off the day before a wedding, too. So I'm always off a day before the wedding to just recoup, have fun, do something that's not business related at all. And I'm always off the day after a wedding, like no matter what. So that kind of, that makes me kind of feel like I'm not working every single day, even though in a business, owning your own business, you're always answering emails, phone calls, meeting clients, doing all the things. But I find if I take off the day before and the day after a wedding, it makes me like, be able to just kind of reset my focus and just chill out for a bit rather than going straight from a wedding straight to editing, like so on and so forth. That's great. I mean, again, the, the intentionality of that and the kind of the simple time blocking, it's a great way to go. Then again, you're not, you're, you're not reacting to whatever you think might need to be done in that day. You already know how you're going to spend today is this day. I do this thing tomorrow's you know, this Tuesday, I'm, I do this thing on Tuesdays, and then Wednesdays, I do this thing, and then the day before the wedding, I take the day off. It's it's simple, but it's great to have that kind of structure that guides what you do. And, and I mean, to your point, it's not always going to be perfect. That's fine. I have a particular structure in mind for my day that certainly isn't perfect, but um, or at least the way that I follow through on that is not perfect. But I, I think that um, making sure that we're proactive in planning in that way is, it, it can make a big difference. And then 
having even some type of accountability, whether it's a friend or family member or, or you know somebody in the office that can push us to say, hey, today is this day or during this time you normally do this thing is also, it can also be quite helpful. So thanks for sharing that. Talk to us about an, an impactful self-help book, a business book, maybe an audio book that you've listened to that's made a big difference in your life. Yes. Um, Bob Goff, I want to be him when I grow up or at least be his best friend. Um, last year, I was like, I've read several books, but I was trying to really think about this. But Everybody Always, uh, it's his latest book. And it just talks about just loving people where they are and just living life to the fullest. Like that's his, that is pretty much like what he pushes is just living life to the fullest, loving people where they are. Hmm. And that book was incredible. Like I said, I want to be Bob Goff. <laughs> like, whatever. I just want to hang with Bob Goff. He's so cool. Uh, I don't even know the guy. But that book probably, it, it changed the way. And it was just, I think it's just a good reminder to me of, hey, like, chill out, enjoy life even more than what you already are. And just like love people. Like the basis of life is to love people, love them well, love them where they are. I think we get kind of caught up in, like the day to day and trying to like make situations different than what they are or change people into like how to fit into our, you know, group or like whatever we're going through. But if we just love people, like the book is so great, just about loving people where they are. And it's called everybody always. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. We'll link to this in the show notes. I actually did a Google search here and Bob just looks like a guy that like you want to hang out with. Like you can see the kindness and, and exuberance for, for life in his eyes. I think that's brilliant. Yes, get the audio book because he actually reads it. Oh, does he? Like okay. himself. And yeah. so he's, he's very, very animated. Like you just, you will want to like hang out with him afterwards. And in his first, the book before that, he actually put his cell phone number in the back of the book. And if you call it, more than likely he will answer. No Like way. I had a friend, yes, I had a friend that called not long ago. I just don't have a question good enough yet to, to call to ask him. So, and he, yeah, and he meets people. He's a lawyer as well. And he meets his clients at Disney World. <laughs> yes see that is brilliant okay you really have me curious i'm gonna have to do a little research after we finish our conversation that is brilliant i just need to be that fun uh, yeah man i want to be that cool wow okay we'll link to that in the show notes everybody always bob goff that is wonderful talk to us about an, an unusual item in your camera bag and this does not have to be a camera or a lens this is just literally anything that helps you be a better photographer what comes to mind Okay, well, I'm going to say two. Okay. Uh, one, I have a bear whistle <laughs> because I like to hike, and you're like, a bear whistle? Why would a wedding photographer have a bear whistle? <laughs> I like to hike national parks. So, like, when you're in places like Yellowstone, you need, you need things like that just in case. Uh, yeah. So, that's just a, an odd thing. But actually, my camera bag is, my, is like, my favorite thing. So, it's not anything that's in my bag. It's my actual, my bag itself. I have a think tank. They are amazing. They think of everything they that you seem could to, possibly yeah. think. Yeah. Yes. And I travel international a lot. And so there's all kinds of really cool like locks and things that are built into the metal of the bag that you can lock your bag to something. And then you can lock different, you know, compartments and it's just really safe and secure. And it has like a little lock built into the bag itself. And so, yeah, my bag is actually probably the coolest thing. Is there a particular bag or think tank bag that you're currently using that you'd recommend? 
Yeah, Think Tank International, that's what it's called. Okay. Um, and so it's it will fit on international flights. The only problem is is that if you live in a smaller town like Knoxville, yeah. uh, not, all of the, not all of the flights immediately go out from Knoxville International. And so that's caused a problem a few times uh, just because of the carry-on space. So just measure your carry-on space before. But it, it fits everything, two full-size bodies, uh, microphones, um, lens a couple of different lens uh all kinds of extra compartments yeah yeah and it's divided very well so but that I'll is so it. true because chattanooga has a small airport as well and it's so convenient i love being able to fly out of here but we do have this smaller airplanes and at times it's it's limiting so i actually bought a think tank kind of suitcase if you will uh, a few months back and i was so excited about traveling with this thing but then i think it was literally the first flight that i went on it, it wasn't going to fit in the overhead and yeah. I was so bummed because I'm a huge fan of their brand too. And, and like you said, the way that they've kind of thought through everything, but it can be limiting. So make sure if you do go purchase a Think Tank product that it fits your traveling style because that's something to be considered. But we'll link to the Think Tank International in the show notes for those of you who are curious. I think the one that'll actually fit, it's just called Think Tank like airport, okay. like something like that. If you like, if you call and ask customer service, there is one that particular that will fit in domestic that is a rolly bag. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we'll link to, to Think Tank and then the international and, and maybe even in the airport or the most recent version of the airport um, case there in the show notes. By the way, the show notes, Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. For those of you listening in, make sure you could take advantage of the resources that we're going to be linking to there. And uh, Haley does a wonderful job of putting together show notes with timestamps, the information, very detailed. So make sure you take advantage of that. Um, let's jump into our, our topic for the day. We're going to be talking about how to upsell or how to sell add-ons, more specifically to wedding packages, Tanya, in, in, your, in your case uh, and with your business. But let's first talk about some of the psychology behind this idea of even selling, because I know that a lot of photographers, I mean, they'd certainly be glad for the opportunity to make a little bit more money, but ironically, of course, they're not comfortable with being a salesperson. And I'd, I would likely fall in this this camp. I'm... So, I mean, we mentioned Photographer's Edit, happened to mention Photographer's Edit in this episode, but for those of you that listen regularly, you know we don't talk about Photographer's Edit very regularly, and part of that has to do with my, I guess, philosophy, ultimately, or at least the approach to selling that I've taken with Photographer's Edit, which is the last thing that I want to do is shove that down people's throat. I don't want to be a big commercial all the time. If I can add value to somebody's life and then, oh, by the way, Photographer's Edit, to me, that's a way better approach. So when it comes to the idea of selling additional products to a client, I would probably fall into that category of photographers who are at least a little bit apprehensive trying to sell on top of, you know, having had them already paid potentially upwards of thousands of dollars for the services that I'm offering. Um, I'm curious your take on this, Tanya, because I know that you have experience in sales just in general. What do you think is the psychology at the root of this fear that photographers have when it comes to selling? Well, I think that people think that, oh, well, like, 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 just like you just said, you said you don't want to push something on someone. And I think that like mentality like starts within the person. Like they think, oh my goodness, if I mention this, then they're going to think that I'm like pushing something on them and then they're not going to want to do this. And then it's actually going to hurt me more than it's going to help me. And then it puts me in this whole used car salesman, <laughs> yeah. pushy, you know, like, mentality. And I kind of look at it totally different. Yes, I do have a sales background and I do think that that helps me. And honestly, the sales is probably, I love doing the sales part more than I love shooting the wedding. And I know that sounds insane, but 
I've always said that I'm probably a better business owner than I am a photographer, just because I love like the sales part. I love the sales meetings. What do you What do you like about it? Like what What is the exhilaration you get from that? The money. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I like listen. There is there are very little jobs that people can go into making this kind of money yeah. in one day, and it's like it's hard and it's long. And it's a huge responsibility. And so I look at if I'm going to do this and have all this responsibility, I want to make as much money as I can make. And so that's like one mindset. But the reality is when you go back to just customer service, helping customers, I look at it this way. We used to offer some albums in our collections that were not so great. And you have to remember, I've been doing this for 10 years. So things evolve, things change. And those albums were very cheap. They were very flimsy. They did not print them on archival paper. And therefore, they did not last or they would not last, you know, in the long term. And so when I started thinking like, and as I got into business more and I was, oh, I'm going to do this. Like, this is what I'm going to be doing for a living and not just a hobby. And I started looking at like better products. Well, better products, of course, cost more money and then you have to charge more, you know, and so on and so forth. And so when I started looking at it, you know, I want my client, I want to be able, if my clients are going to be paying me thousands of dollars to shoot their wedding, I want them to have the best products that you can get. And so when you look at stuff like that, I just started thinking, okay, if they don't buy off of me, they're going to go to other companies online that are offering things on very flimsy paper that are not archival that look like, you know, your five-year-old helped you make it. And I understand (laughs) some, you know, some people love the whole cut and paste, drop and drag. They love the whole do it yourself thing. And they can still do that because with our collections, they do get the uh, printing release to be able to do whatever they want to. So they can still do that if they're a crafty person. But my thing is, is I want to take the stress off of the bride. So when they come to us, Hey, we're going to show up, we're going to shoot your wedding. You know, we're going to have a second photographer there. We're going to have this, we're going to have that. But my favorite part is delivering the products. So I kind of look at it as if, like I said, if we don't provide it, they're still going to go somewhere else to get it. And the thing is, is I want my photo to look its best. And so in order for it to look its best, it has to be printed with a reputable company that is going to print it on archival paper, that they're going to do, you know, all the things they need to do to make my photo look the best. And so I, I kind of look at it as, as that, as I get kind of get one step ahead of the client and think they're going to print these, they're going to pay someone else to do this. Like I always tell people, like other vendors, if you don't take the bride's money, they're going to spend it somewhere else. They're going to spend it on a dress. They're going to spend it on food. They're going to spend it on the venue. And so I don't look at it as like me trying to take the bride's money. I'm offering them the service. I'm doing a great job. My team's doing a great job. And so I would prefer them to get a beautiful album that they're going to keep and be able to pass down to their grandkids rather than like not upsell them on something that they actually would love or need and then spend that money on I don't know, some, some like wedding favors that they're not even going to remember. And so I kind of look at it as I'm like educating the bride and I'm helping them, but I do it in a way that it's not very salesy, so to say. And so I give them options and then I let them make their choice. And if they don't want it, then they don't have to get it. But I sell it in a way that I tell them, Hey, this is why we offer this. Mm. This is what we offer. Like you can go to this other company and print your photos. You have the rights to all of them. That's perfectly fine. Or 
And then when I, you know, I do a comparison of a visual, Hey, this is what you would get if you, you know, ordered it online through a company and paid 30 bucks for the album, or I get it. You're going to pay, you know, $800 for this album. I get it. It's a lot of money, but if you know you have kids and your kid comes through and pulls this one off your coffee table and just throws it or just pulls the page, it's going to rip apart. This one, other than liquid, it's going to hold you know for a while. And so when I start talking about the longevity and just like passing these heirlooms down to generations, and then that gets into like a whole another business model that we talk about. I think like when you just talk about the benefits, rather than just like going in there and being like, well, you need this, this, and this, and just trying to sell them. Like it's all about building relationships with your clients. And then once you build the relationships, they will trust you to guide them. We never push, we just guide. Ooh, yeah, that's, I like how you finished that up. And and really, I mean, if we were to sum up everything you just said, the focus is on service, right? Instead of, mm-hmm. and it's interesting, I mean, this is true in just life in general. It's all in how we frame things, right? It's all about perspective. So if we're framing this as we're trying to get as much money as possible from the client, then it's going to feel weird probably in many cases. But if we're framing it as, hey, I'm trying to provide the best possible service and product to my client, this is an effort truly at service. And yeah, of course, there's a financial benefit. I'm putting the work in and I'm, I'm getting paid for it. I'm getting compensated for it. But ultimately, I'm providing a better experience and a better finished product for my client. Uh, when you frame it that way, it it sounds different and certainly feels different. And so I, I like the way that you have have kind of presented that to us and, and ultimately are presenting it to the client. I think it's really wonderful. You mentioned your experience in sales. Was there ever a period though prior to being in sales where you struggled with this idea or is this something, I mean, was there something that you did that enabled you to kind of move beyond that fear? Or is this, have you always just been confident in it? Probably have been confident in it for a while, but I started with some really great companies that taught great sales modules and how to deal with clients and how to upsell. And so I probably have a little bit up, you know, on some of other photographers as far as that I have previous training, but then you just kind of change it into your business model. And so I don't think I've ever had a big fear. And I kind of look at it as things like this. If you go to buy a new car and you have a budget and you know what you want to spend and you get this car and it's exactly what you wanted. And then you drive off the lot and you realize there is a feature on a different model of the same car that you <laughs> yeah. loved yeah. and you didn't get it and you can't take that car back. I would be mad. And so I don't want my clients to be mad. So you can always offer because I would rather them have options than to take the base collection, go on and then be like, I didn't even know you offer that. And so I bought it somewhere else and I would have, I hate what I bought and I could have got that off of you. Cause then that makes me feel like I did my clients a disservice. Yeah. Well, it, and it's funny you mentioned the car thing because I, I've even been, I just saw a newer version of the car that I drive and, and it, my car is great. It made you mad, didn't it? <laughs> it's fine. But I'm like, oh man, that would be, that would be nice. Yeah. I, and I mean, the focus here again is just offering the best possible service. And you know, you kind of jokingly alluded to the, the used cars salesperson earlier. The big difference here is that we don't have to behave the way that a used car salesperson does. First of all, when it comes to honesty, but secondly, when it comes to the way that we actually engage our clients in conversation, if you're if you're coming to them as a friend who wants to take care of them uh, the best possible way, 
and and you mean all of this genuinely, that's going to come through in the way that you engage with them. And it's not going to feel like you just went to use card lot where somebody's trying to, to rip you off. It's it's just, it's really two totally different conversations, or at least I hope it is. <laughs> right, um, and, right. And, and uh, I certainly would trust that that's the case with, with you, Tanya. Your energy really is wonderful. And I'm sure that that translates when you're going through that sales process with a client. Can you just briefly, again, to further frame the conversation and kind of add context to it, how would you define an add-on? Will you explain that to our listeners? Yeah. So an add-on, so how we build our collections, let's start there. So when you build your collection as a wedding photographer, there's a million ways that you can do it. Some people have one collection and then there's add-on, which is additional services that you have on from your base collection. We have three collections. First collection is what I would call just base services. It gets me there. It gets them great photos and minimal coverage. And then you have your next collection that goes up that gives them each collection needs to have a different incentive enough that they want to spend the additional money for the products or services that is in the next collection. And so they need to be a pretty drastic difference. But even in that, you need to allow enough space that you can always upsell each collection. So for instance, our base collection, it just, like I said, it has me and it has some hours for their wedding services. And so at that point, they could add additional photographers, they could add an album, you know, canvases, so on and so forth. And then the next collection will have some of that in it. But even then, um, we'll have an album in it that will be a beautiful album. It's still top of the line album, but it'll be a smaller album. And we always want to give room for margin for them to add additional pages, to upgrade the size. And even in our top collection, which they pretty much get everything under the sun, I still left room for me to be able to do, to do an upsell or an add-on to where they can add additional products upgrade the sizing, whatever, um, for that collection as well. See, this is really great though. I, I, I love simple principles that can ultimately be extremely impactful. And the, the idea that you just suggested, which is when you build those collections or those packages to make sure that you're not putting everything in them. So you actually have room to, to sell add-ons. I mean, as simple a notion as that is, that in my mind is, is quite interesting and I think impactful. And for those of you listening in, if you're building packages that include everything you could possibly offer, there's no room to even upsell at the end of the day, then you're limiting your ability to be able to make an additional bit of, of cash revenue for the sake of your business and ultimately your life, of course. And uh, so make some room for that. Don't include everything in those packages. Make some room for the sake of add-ons. Do you have, Tanya, when they when this client comes to you, and, and maybe this is a good segue, actually, let me just ask the next question, which is the, the steps of your workflow. I know that you mentioned to me before we stopped or started recording that you have kind of three primary points in which you're interacting with the client in person uh, for the sake of, or, or which ultimately give you the opportunity, three different opportunities to sell add-ons. But does that initial contact, that first step in the initial contact, do you hand them a pricing guide? Is that something that they get ahead of time? How do you actually present those collections and then the add-ons to them? 
Yeah, so we have our base collection uh, pricing online. That way it, it weeds out anyone who is far out of our budget okay. or that we're far out of their budget. Okay. And then also saves on you know airtime if they send us. If their budget is $500, well, we don't start at $500. So they're going to look, okay, she's out of my budget. They'll move on to the next photographer. And I'll just, if I can jump in here really quick, for those of you listening in, you can just go to Tanya, T-O-N-Y-A, Damron, D-A-M-R-O-N.com. And there's a page there that says investment. Tanya, I've actually pulled it up here for the sake of our conversation. And I, I like the simplicity and the clarity with which you communicate the starting price point. It's literally the, the first thing at the very top of the page. And then you go into more detail and, and uh, explanation. But it just simply says investments start at $2,500. And, and you're right. I mean, all this conversation about whether or not to put pricing on the website, honestly, I don't think it's a very complicated conversation. If you want to, to save some time, and, and, and not have to have unnecessary back and forth on the phone or via email, put that information out there, even if it's just a starting price point, so that, as Tanya just said, you, you weed out the clients who just don't fit your brand. And it, it ha- it's helped out a lot. There's I know there's this ongoing debate. Do you put your prices online? Do you not? I think it's a personal choice. But I also know that regardless of how great of a salesperson you are, or how awesome of a photographer you are, if a bride's budget is $500 and you start at 5,000, they are not your client. And it would, it would just help. It it does for me help weed out some people. So that's really great. Okay. So, well, take us through the workflow then. And those, those three primary touch points where you have opportunity to sell these add-ons and explain to our listeners what that process looks like, if you will. Yeah. So uh, the first, normally people will email and they'll say, Hey, I found you on Google or your referral from such and such. We've looked at your website. We want either more information. We don't get a lot of, we want pricing because of the step that we kind of already took care of at the beginning. Yeah. But once we chit chat with them or on, we'll do an email first and then we always do a phone call. Uh, and I know that like email is like a big thing or texting is a big thing, but I want to talk to the client first just to make sure that we are a good fit, that there's no crazy red flags. Uh, once we talk, if we both agree that we are a good fit, then I will schedule a meeting that week and invite them in uh, for coffee. And at that point, I'll email them that night after we get off the phone call, I'll email them a full pricing because the thing is I want them to come in prepared. This is a sales meeting. I want them to buy something. Mm. And so I end up saying, Hey, listen, I want you like, let's schedule time when you, your fiance and anyone helping pay for the wedding can come in because I want mom, dad, grandma, whoever that has the checkbook that's going to help pay for this. I want them there because I want to answer any questions that they have. Because for me, there's nothing hidden. So I want, like, if they are concerned about why is wedding photography so much, I want to get them in person. I want them to see and touch and feel the albums. I want them to meet me. I want them to, you know, entrust, you know, me in their wedding day. And so if I talk to a bride and then she's like, well, I need to talk to my dad and I need to talk to this person. If they leave, there's this huge chance that they may not book. They still may, and they and they normally do, but there's a there's this gap of time. And so if we have everybody there that I can assure dad that, hey, yes, you are hiring a professional, and I know that you're getting ready to spend $4,000 with me, but I promise it's going to be worth it, and I promise she's going to be happy, and I can answer all those questions, and then I go over the contract and the whole legal thing. If I can get them in there to answer, like that's a big thing. So we have the first meeting, which they will book, and they'll pick, you know, whichever collection they want. And at that point I'll say, Hey, 
do you want to upgrade this album? Here's the options. And so they can touch and see and feel what the options are. Normally that's the big thing that people upgrade. And then we'll also do a timeline just to make sure that the collection they picked also has enough hours that they need. And once they see the timeline, that gives them an educated, and that's the big thing, and educate your clients on what they need. Because if I have a collection that has seven hours, but they're going to be at three different venues, they're going to probably need additional time just because of travel time. When they see that, then they understand it rather than me just telling them. So even though I am selling them, I'm actually educating them on why they would need additional hours or what this album, like the benefits of this album versus this album. Some people don't add additional hours. Some people don't upgrade their album and that's fine. But I at least want to educate them to the point that they make the decision because in the end, I can't twist anybody's arm to add an additional hour or two hours or whatever. And so at that point, we'll sign the contract. They'll get everything that they need that night. And uh, then we meet with them 30 days before their wedding to go over and like we have like contact between, you know, in between time, but in person meeting, we'll meet them 30 days before their wedding. We'll go back over what they purchased, what the wedding day is going to look like, timeline, everything again, pretty much that we did in the first meeting. But by that time, they've already had like a a bridal shower. People's already given them additional money, things like that. Yeah. And then we also tell them, Hey, listen, just so you know, like, and I'll even tell them the first meeting, I always say, Hey, you're going to have a bridal shower. I know that this may be pushing your budget, but remember people are going to give you money. Hey, if they want to register, if you want to register with us for your bridal shower, you can. We actually had someone call in and pay someone's wedding off and it was like almost $2,000. So, and I, yeah. And I share that story and they're like, okay. And like, so I was like, why would you rather have an ugly bedspread or would you rather have awesome photos? Like (laughs) your people could help you with that. And they're like, that is true. So we'll go back over that during the second meeting. And at that point, you know, they'll normally upgrade things. They've got additional money. You know, maybe their perspective has changed. Maybe something has changed with their timeline. They need to add additional hours. And then at that point, we always say, we're going to spend 10 minutes on the collections and we're going to spend the next, you know, 90% just catching up on live. And so that's the way I do all of my meetings. 10% is the whole salesy contract, all of that stuff. And the other 90% is we're having coffee. We're having donuts. I'm talking about their dog, (laughs) where they just went on vacation, where I just went on vacation. And so when you build relationships, it really doesn't seem like sales. Because they trust you. And that is a big, big, big thing. And if you're comfortable in your own skin, that does show in the meeting. And then uh, we'll do a post meeting from their wedding. So as soon as we get their wedding photos edited, I used to do, I would just throw them up on an online gallery. And then if they bought something, they bought something. If they downloaded it, they just downloaded it. And I realized no one was buying anything, Mm. not even the guests. And I was like, what the crap? It's, you know, 2000 and whatever when I started this and I was like and no one is like why is people not buying these and so what we started doing which I love and I always tell everybody is do a preview party invite anyone that is in their VIP so that's parents grandparents siblings bridal party anyone anyone you think is going to buy something and I tell them this and I set it up they know they're coming to a sales meeting hey when do you want to do your preview party this is what happens we'll meet I can come to your house we can meet out for coffee 
Uh, and it, the fun thing is, is normally at this point, like they, they'll cook, they'll cook a meal or they'll have, you know, finger food. Sometimes they'll have drinks, a uh, coffee or whatever, and they'll invite me to their house. And then they have like their whole like family there and I'll do a little slideshow for them. And there's all kinds of tears and like we watch it 15 times cause that's awesome. <laughs> and at that point, but I tell them beforehand, Hey, I'm going to send you a price sheet. We're going to do 20% off of anything that anybody buys that night. So if you want to upgrade anything, you get 20, 20% off. They just, they just have to pay that night. So we'll do gift cards so they can go home and look through the gallery and do their gift cards on their own. And everything just ships to their house. The same thing with albums, parent albums, anything they order that night. For me, I do 20% off. Anybody can do whatever they whatever they want to off at that point. And it's it's fun. It's amazing. Like It has literally increased my sales at least $1,000. If I go to one of those meetings or a preview party and don't make at least an additional $1,000, I feel like I've not done my job. But it sells itself because people do buy on emotion. But when they're seeing their photos and they're beautiful and it's awesome and everyone's there, it's just they want those things now. And I think the big thing that I've done the past two years is I started this. It's so crazy. I started this thing that um, if people pay in full, and I just tell them up front, hey, these are your options. You can pay in full and you get a free canvas. You, you can do you know, free whatever. A canvas is normally something that we don't really sell a lot of. So I'm not losing money by offering the canvas. Hey, if you pay in full, you get a free canvas or you can you know, have payment options and we tell them what their payment options are. Normally, like literally nine out of 10 people will pay in full for their wedding. I couldn't tell you the last time like maybe I can pick one, one particular and I don't care. I'm like, Hey, if you want to pay payments, other people do. It's cool. If you don't, and you have the money, like, cause I, I look in, in like my budgeting for the business, I can do more with like 4,000 in my hand rather than someone paying payments on 4,000. And most of the time people will pay in full. It's, it's insane. And people don't believe me and they start doing it and they're like, how did you figure this out? I was like, I don't know. Apparently I'm a genius, <laughs> but, but it works. And it's just simple things, simple suggestions and giving your client an option. People like options and making them feel like they're in control. Cause in the end, they're going to pick what they want. You're not forcing them to do anything. And I yeah. think that's the big stigma that people think I don't want to force them mm. into buying something that they don't want. Mm-hmm. You're not like, have, has anyone ever forced you into no, I mean, there may be some pressure here and there, but you know, in the end you make your own choices. Yeah. And so I think if you just educate people, they and steer them in the right direction because I actually just I have a wedding this weekend. The total guest list is 27. This lady spent an insane amount with me to the point that I even tried to get her to book a lower package and people are like, "Why would you do that?" I'm like, "Because two photographers for this many hours at a wedding that has 27 people that we're not going to be doing anything. Like there's not going to be a lot going on. And she refused to go down in collection. And I was like, <laughs> hey, at least, you know, at least I did my job because I'll yeah. never sell someone something that they don't need. Sure. If they want it, that's fine. And she's like, well, I really love photos. And I'm like, well, I really love photos too. But I just <laughs> need you to, I need you to have the expectation that there's going to be some downtime because you have 27 guests. And these people are like, they're, they're like in their like late sixties. So like, and I said, well, are they going to dance? Is there going to be alcohol? Probably not. And I'm like, what are we going to do? <laughs> but, it, but, but it's okay because she loves photography. That's yeah. what she wanted. Yeah. Like, and I, you know, and I didn't pressure her into doing this. So 
just guide, I just always say, just guide your people. They can make, they're adults. They can make decisions on their own. Uh, this is great. I mean, and, and you laid that out so clearly and concisely. I'm not even a photographer anymore and I'm still like taking notes here that <laughs> seriously, I could, I could turn around and go up, apply this to a new photography business for that matter. For those of you listening in, if you have a photography business, this is, first of all, Tanya just made that the concept of upselling very, very simple. And I think, uh, accessible for way more people. And, and Tanya, the way that you just explained that break, breaking it down into the initial pre-wedding and then post-wedding consultations, uh, particularly I, I found interesting with the focus on albums and hours as points of upsell. I think that was particularly interesting, but this is really great stuff. I want to respect your time and everybody listening in too. So I'm not going to add too much more here, or ask any more follow-up questions, but can you just share with our listeners one more time where they can find you online and on social media. And I'm, I'm sure there may be some, some follow-up questions that they have specific to their business. Yeah. So um, everything across the board is just Tanya Dameron Photography on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram more than anything. Uh, website is still the same, tanyadameron.com. Uh, and you can reach out to me there as well. Perfect. This has been really helpful, Tanya. I, I really appreciate, again, your energy. Um, it is it is real. It's felt. And I please don't stop that because I, I think we need more people with that kind of energy in the world. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience with the Boca podcast today. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>